Section 10 of the Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler, Chemistry. Chapter 8, Part 1, Development of Special Branches During the Phlogistic Period Although the services of the chemists, whose investigations did most toward building up the chemistry of gases, have been referred to, yet the influence of this work in shaping chemistry was so great that discussion of pneumatic chemistry and its relations to the phlogistic theory in more detail is necessary. Boyle, ingenious though he was, was unable to fathom the mystery of atmospheric air. His views regarding it are succinctly stated by him in his Memoirs for a General History of the Air, and in the same work he sums up the views of the ancients. His words are, The schools teach the air to be a warm and moist element, and consequently a simple and homogeneous body many modern philosophers have indeed justly given up this elementary purity in the air yet few seem to think it a body so greatly compounded as it really appears to be the atmosphere they allow is not absolutely pure but with them it differs from true and simple air only as turbid water from clear our atmosphere in my opinion consists not wholly of purer ether or subtle matter which is diffused through the universe but in great number of numberless exhalations of the terraqueous globe and the various materials that go to compose it with perhaps some substantial emanations from the celestial bodies make up together not a bare indetermined feculency but a confused aggregate of different effluvia his researches, however, show a marked advance over those of Van Helmont in the mode in which he collected gases and worked with them. At the same time, neither he nor his contemporaries felt quite sure whether carbonic acid and hydrogen, whose characteristic properties he was acquainted with, differed materially from atmospheric air. In fact, the idea that gases were simply atmospheric air with various admixtures had become fixed in the minds of the chemists. The experimentalist Stephen Hales, for example, discovered gases and prepared them in a more or less pure state, but had no theory to guide him, and concluded that it was possessed of a chaotic nature, since he failed to recognize his gases as different kinds of matter, but regarded them all as modified air. Black's account of fixed air and its properties is the first example of a clear and logical series of experimental researches, where nothing was taken for granted, but everything was made the subject of careful quantitative measurement. It was not long since Hales had announced air to be a chaotic mixture of effluvia. Black showed that common air contains a small amount of fixed air, and that fixed air must be considered as a fluid differing in many of its properties from common air, especially in its being absorbed by quicklime and by alkalis. 
it must be remembered that at that time carbon was not recognized as an element and hence though black knew that fixed air was a product of the combustion of charcoal he did not attribute it to the union of carbon with oxygen black held that the change from chalk to lime consists only in the withdrawal of fixed air and that he adduced in proof the changes in weight accompanying the change from chalk to lime and back again a piece of perfect quicklime made from two drams of chalk which weighed one dram and eight grains was reduced to a very fine powder and thrown into a filtrated mixture of an ounce of a fixed alkaline salt and two ounces of water after a slight digestion the powder being well washed and dried weighed one dram and fifty-eight grains it was similar in every trial to a fine powder of ordinary chalk the changes referred to are chalk heated equals lime plus fixed air caco3 equals cao plus co2 lime plus fixed alkali equal chalk plus caustic alkali cao plus k2co3 caco3 plus k2o the methods of collecting gases had improved considerably since the time of Hales. air was ascertained to be a fluid capable of measurement which possessed weight and which could be transferred from one vessel to another just like all other fluids the apparatus which black priestley bergman and scheele employed and those which were used at the present time gradually developed themselves from that of Hales. joseph priestley was the first to describe the collection of gases over mercury and by this means he succeeded in discovering gaseous ammonia hydrochloric acid silicon fluoride and sulfurous acid gases which had been overlooked so long as water was employed in the collecting vessels as mentioned before scheele is now known to have anticipated priestley in the isolation of some of these gases as well as of nitric oxide and sulfuretted hydrogen hydrogen sulfide these investigations along with the recognition of cavendish that hydrogen is a peculiar gas and the supplemental researches of bergman and black on carbonic acid are to be emphasized as being particularly noteworthy since they help to do away with many misconceptions and errors the discovery of so many gaseous substances of such different character naturally roused the chemical world the properties of each gas were carefully studied and after mayow's researches and especially after the more exact determinations conducted by cavendish the density was taken as the criterion of one gas differing from another and from atmospheric air due attention was also given to the greater or lesser absorption of gases by water as a distinct test for some of them bergman for instance determined with fair accuracy the solubility of carbonic acid in water however the exact composition of gaseous bodies remained unknown during this period great uncertainty prevailing even about the simplest of them until lavoisier had pronounced his opinion as to the elementary nature of oxygen and hydrogen but this could not be otherwise so long as phlogiston was believed to be present in most gases 
hydrogen was thought to be identical with phlogiston by many chemists soon after the middle of the eighteenth century cavendish and richard kirwan setting the precedent for this others looked upon coal as being rich in phlogiston if not as the latter itself and often confused opinions were expressed concerning the composition of carbonic acid carbonic oxide nitric oxide sulfurous acid sulfurated hydrogen and other gases these opinions being made to conform with the views of the phlogistic doctrine prevalent at that time of greater importance than these views upon the constitution of the gases just named were the long unsettled questions is atmospheric air a simple or a command body and if the latter what are its constituents or ingredients these questions were solved experimentally by chemists belonging to the phlogistic era more particularly by scheele and priestley but it was left to lavoisier to interpret their observations correctly the first observation which assisted in overthrowing the old assumption of air being a simple substance was the deportment of an enclosed volume to a burning body and to metals heated in it the alchemists had asserted that when a substance is burned in the air it is separated or analyzed into things simpler than itself the acute boil had said the process is not necessarily a simplification it may be and certainly sometimes is the formation of something more complicated than the original substance and when this happens the process often consists in the fixation of the matter of fire by the burning substance he was led by his investigations in this direction to the assumption that one ingredient of the atmosphere was necessary to respiration and combustion and that the increase in weight during the calcination of metals was due to a ponderable fire stuff he remarked that it will not be irrational to conjecture that multitudes of these fiery corpuscles getting in at the pores of the glass may associate themselves with the parts of the mixed body whereupon they work and with them constitute new kinds of compound bodies according as the shape size and other affections of the parts of the dissipated body happen to dispose them i have been induced to think that the particles of an open fire working upon some bodies may really associate themselves therewith and add to the quantity boyle the skeptical chemist sixteen sixty one he was unable to isolate this ingredient however stahl paid no attention to the change in weight resulting from calcination a position which was taken also by many later phlogistonists who either regarded such a change as accidental or advanced crude explanations of it johannes juncker for example pointed out that the metallic calces were denser than the metals and consequently heavier decidedly an incorrect statement as boyle had already demonstrated in certain cases that the calces were specifically lighter than their corresponding metals equally ridiculous was the assumption that the phlogiston which escaped in calcination possessed a negative weight and therefore that the end product was the heavier in sixteen thirty jean ray published a series of essays entitled essays of jean ray doctor of medicine 
on the researches of the cause owing to which tin and lead increase in weight when they are calcined now i have made the preparations nay laid the foundations for my answer to the question of the sieur brun which is that having placed two pounds six ounces of fine english tin in an iron vessel and heated it strongly on an open furnace for the space of six hours with continual agitation and without adding anything to it he recovered two pounds thirteen ounces of a white calx which filled him at first with amazement and with a desire to know whence the seven ounces of surplus had come and to increase the difficulty i say that it is necessary to inquire not only whence these seven ounces have come but besides them what has replaced the loss of weight which occurred necessarily from the increase of volume of the tin on its conversion into calx and from the loss of the vapors and exhalations which were given off to this question then i respond and sustain proudly resting on the foundations already laid that this increase in weight comes from the air which in the vessel has been rendered denser heavier and in some measure adhesive by the vehement and long-continued heat of the furnace which air mixes with the calx frequent agitation aiding and becomes attached to its most minute particles not otherwise than water makes heavier sand which you throw into it and agitate by moistening it and adhering to the smallest of its grains the manner in which ray arrives at his answer is not by any direct experiments on calcination but rather by experiments and the reference to experiments of a purely physical nature such as the discussion of the causes like change of volume which can and of those like heat which cannot produce change of weight thus he lays a sound foundation for his method which is one of elimination showing that none of the causes to which it had been usual to ascribe the observed increase in weight could be considered legitimate that it could not be due to the giving up of heat of negative gravity nor to the absorption of fire matter of positive weight not to an increase in density not to the absorption of soot or of anything else from the materials of the containing vessels and so none is left unchallenged of all the possible modes of explanation save that of the fixation of the air consequently his conclusion that calcination of a metal probably consists in the fixation of particles of air by the metal does not amount to a proof Mayow assumed that a spiritus igno aeris brought about combustion according to him the substance that is being calcined lays hold of this particular constituent of the air which however he failed to isolate nevertheless he approached closely to the correct interpretation of the phenomena in question the real solution of which was brought forth after oxygen and nitrogen had been prepared with success nitrogen was first isolated by scheele but daniel rutherford who discovered it independently in seventeen seventy two preceded scheele in publication rutherford removed the oxygen from ordinary air by combustibles such as charcoal phosphorus or a candle and having got rid of the carbon dioxide in those cases when it was formed by alkali or lime he obtained a residue 
now known as nitrogen his view of the nature of this gas in the phlogistic language of the time was that the burning bodies had given up some of their phlogistic material to the air which was thus altered nitrogen was phlogisticated air even the incombustible hydrogen too was phlogisticated air but air produced by the union of pure phlogiston with atmospheric air the step taken by rutherford under black's guidance was an advance though not a great one in the development of the theory of the true nature of air it followed from shields as well as rutherford's observations that this new gas which was a non-supporter of either respiration or combustion must be one of the ingredients of atmospheric air the other was discovered by scheele and priestley it should be mentioned here that passages in the early works suggest the possibility of a much earlier acquaintance with oxygen gas hofer in his histoire de la chimie volume two page two seventy one claims to discover traces of a knowledge of oxygen gas in the writings of zosimus a greek writer on alchemy who lived in the third or fourth centuries in a manuscript preserved in the national library of paris entitled zosimus the panopolitan on the sacred art of making gold and silver this passage occurs take the soul of the copper which is borne upon the water of mercury and disengage an aeriform body soma pneumaticon hofer states that we have indications of the production of a gaseous body by means of a red substance the soul of copper which floats on the surface of liquid mercury if this substance is red oxide of mercury the aeriform body must have been oxygen moreover in campbell's hermippus redivivus or the sage's triumph over old age and the grave which was published in london in seventeen forty nine the following statement occurs i could mention another preparation from the vital part of the air itself which is a great secret among these philosophers and is perhaps the white dove so often mentioned in the writings of philolithes of which thus much is certain that when the air is once despoiled of this principle it is no longer fit for animal respiration and it was by a contrivance of this kind that the famous cornelius drebel made that liqueur which supplied the place of air in the machine he contrived for carrying on a kind of submarine navigation this medicine which is as i have said extracted from the air is whiter than the snow colder than ice and so volatile that if a quantity of nutmeg be exposed to the air it is absorbed thereby in the space of a few seconds as bolton has remarked this passage refers to in an unmistakable manner to the preparation of oxygen and its property supporting life drebel fifteen seventy two to sixteen thirty four appears to have rowed in a boat under water in the thames river for a distance of about eight miles and his employment of compressed oxygen gas if it may be so interpreted must have been about the beginning of the seventeenth century scheele prepared oxygen by heating black oxide of manganese with sulfuric or arsenic acid and also from nitrates and from the oxides of mercury and silver 
and noted its characteristics very clearly. Priestley, who also observed the gas at about the same time, without, however, recognizing its peculiar nature, first isolated it for certain on August 1st, 1774, by heating red oxide of mercury, and as he published his results earlier than Scheele, he has generally been regarded as the first discoverer of oxygen. Both observed that this gas was capable of supporting combustion and respiration in an intensified degree. Priestley named it deflogisticated air, and Scheele at first air vitriolicus, later fire air, and also life air. The discovery of oxygen enabled both Scheele and Priestley to recognize air as being a mixture of two kinds of gas. Priestley calls nitrogen phlogisticated air, and Scheele terms it spent air. Priestley employed saltpeter gas, nitric oxide, as an absorbent for oxygen, while Scheele made use of phosphorus, hydrate of protoxide of iron, mixtures of iron and sulfur, and moist iron filings. Both made the important observation that upon burning a candle in an enclosed volume of air, exactly as much fixed air, carbon dioxide, was generated as oxygen had vanished. Notwithstanding all this, they did not arrive at the correct explanation of combustion, respiration, and calcination, whose analogy to one another they clearly saw. The breathing of animals and the burning of substances were supposed to load the atmosphere with phlogiston. Priestley spoke of the atmosphere as being constantly vitilated, rendered noxious, depraved, or corrupted by processes of respiration and combustion. He called those processes whereby the atmosphere is restored to its original condition, or depurated, as he said, deflogisticating processes. As he had obtained his deflogisticated air by heating the calx of mercury, Priestley was forced to suppose that the calcination of mercury in the air must be a more complex occurrence than merely the expulsion of phlogiston from the mercury. For if the process consisted only in the expulsion of phlogiston, how could heating what remained produce exceedingly pure, ordinary air? It seemed necessary to suppose that not only was phlogiston expelled from mercury during calcination, but that the mercury also imbibed some portion and that the purest portion of the surrounding air. Priestley did not, however, go so far as this. He was content to suppose that in some way, which he did not explain, the process of calcination resulted in the loss of phlogiston by the mercury, and the gain by the deflogisticated mercury of the property of yielding exceedingly pure or deflogisticated air when it was heated very strongly. Consequently, the path distinctly indicated by his own observations was left for another to tread. It was Lavoisier who was destined to do this, as he easily threw aside the trivial phlogistic misconceptions that he cherished at the commencement of his scientific career. The others, indeed, supported a contradictory explanation of combustion and analogous processes in order to remain loyal to the phlogistic doctrine but that it was Priestley and Scheele who, by their exhaustive investigations on oxygen, 
and the part which it played in the processes mentioned furnish the experimental material for the correct interpretation of these and not lavoisier is beyond all question it remained for the latter however to give the correct explanation of combustion calcination and similar processes among the treatises on air which appeared during this period other than those mentioned were bond's meditations physico chimicae de aeris in sublunaria inflexu sixteen eighty five arbuthnot's an essay concerning the effects of air on human bodies seventeen fifty one and cavallo's a treasure on the nature and properties of air and other permanently elastic fluids seventeen eighty one in order to appreciate the advances which the chemical ideas of the phlogistic period showed upon those of the periods already discussed and to understand the connection which exists between the theoretical views of the phlogistonists and those of the chemists of the modern period it is necessary to become acquainted with their views regarding elements chemical compounds and chemical affinity boyle's definition of an element that it is any substance which cannot be further decomposed was one of great significance for the whole of natural science he also considered that the elements attainable by chemical investigation were not the ultimate constituents of matter nevertheless his contemporaries and successors failing to appreciate these views exhibit a tendency to revert to the alchemistic elements and even to those of aristotle for instance lefebvre author of a treatise on theoretical chemistry and lemery classified earth and water with three elements of basilius valentinius and paracelsus while becher held to those three under other names the vitrifiable and the inflammable and the mercurial earths and added water to the list according to stahl's views sulphur consists of a sulphuric acid and phlogiston and a metal of its metallic calx oxide and phlogiston therefore the phlogistonists assume that all products of calcination and combustion acids and oxides were elements in which class of substances they also classed phlogiston itself these erroneous assumptions kept back a knowledge of the true elements and only after it was clearly demonstrated that instead of the escape of phlogiston the absorption of oxygen must be allowed and in place of the assimilation of phlogiston the removal of oxygen did that extraordinary genius lavoisier bring light into the confusion which prevailed by his brilliant ideas and observations a better understanding of the composition of substances was gained by analytical chemistry which was gradually developed during this period but although certain constituents of compounds could be identified and distinguished from one another yet the proportions by weight in which substances combined were not considered and consequently the real development of the term chemical compound was reserved for the period of quantitative chemistry the chemists of the phlogistic period were forced to draw their conclusions concerning the composition of substances from analogy notwithstanding which fact however several contributed materially to an insight into the nature of chemical compounds robert boyle for example recognized the dissimilarity of such substances to elements 
while he mayow and borhav stated that the characteristic properties of substances which combine chemically disappear after such combination notwithstanding the fact that they are still present in the compound formed acids salts and oxides calces were however regarded as being of similar composition and until it was recognized that salts were produced by the combination of acids with bases an achievement of this period the term salt was applied promiscuously stahl for instance applied the term to acids and alkalis as well as to salts proper and considered that salts were made up of an earth and water in 1745 rouet rendered a great service to the study of salts and the diffusion of knowledge respecting this class of compounds in his attractive lectures he defined salts as the products of the union of acids with bases and distinguished normal acid and basic salts and showed their action on vegetable dyes yet he confounded many salts with acids and could not throw off the old idea that the vitriols and other metallic salts consisted of metal and acid bergman demonstrated the falsity of this assumption when he proved that it is the metallic calces and not the metals themselves which combine with acids to form salts after the time of rouet solubility in water and taste were no longer regarded as characteristics of salts inasmuch as he classed several insoluble compounds among them end of section 10 recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com